I speak to you in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Please be seated. Good morning. So today we are in the second Sunday of Epiphany, and it begs the question, what is Epiphany? What is Epiphany? Is that, that's a kind of a churchy word, so I wanted to break it down this morning for us. Epiphany is God's revelation to humankind, not God's revelation to creation, because, well, creation has already got it. It's just the humankind that we're still working on this, this thing. And so today we see, uh, last week, um, we would have heard uh, the baptism of Jesus the week before that, which was, or the Thursday before that, which was Epiphany, the day of Epiphany, the sixth, uh, the three wise men. Uh, and today we hear the first miracle in Canaan. But there's a lot that's happened in John by the time we get to John 2. So if you'll grab your Bibles and turn with me to John chapter 1, I want to start out uh, down at the very bottom on chapter, uh, verse 50, chapter 1, verse 50. And I want to set this up for you. So uh, Jesus has called his disciples or is calling his disciples and he gets to uh, the disciple Nathaniel. And um, Nathaniel, of course, makes that that uh, that comment: "What good could come out of Nazareth?" You know that particular story. And when Jesus sees Nathaniel, he says, "I saw you under the fig tree." Here is a here is a, a a true Israelite, and I saw you on the fig tree. And Nathaniel believed. And this is this is his response. I'm going to start on 49. Nathaniel answered, "Rabbi, you are the Son of God. You are the King of Israel." And Jesus answered him. This is verse 50. Uh, because I said to you, I saw you under the fig tree, do you believe? You will see greater things than these. And he said to him, truly, truly, I say to you, I will. you will see uh, heaven opened and the angels ascending and descending on the Son of Man. And then we have the story that we have today uh, on the third day with the wedding at Cana. Now, this the reason I bring this up is the, the first time that we see this this uh, imagery of Jesus' glorification, which is going to be on the cross at his death, is with Nathaniel. The second image of this is when Jesus answers his mother. Now, I want to stop and talk just a second about Jesus' answers to his mother because there's some concern that Jesus is getting a little snippy with his mother. Woman, what business of this is this of mine? Of, of, this is not any business of ours. Although I want to repicture this and reimage this because, well, I raised three boys and I can hear this in their voice. Mother, is this really any of our business? Can you hear it? So you hear Jesus answering his mother, but I want to make it very clear he's answering his mother. Okay? And I'm going to come back around to that. So. In my estimation, Jesus is not is not um, answering his mother in a in a quip or a um, or a descending type of attitude or a condescending kind of attitude, but rather he's going, "Mom." It makes more sense, doesn't it? He loves his mom. I mean, come on, he's Jesus. He's going to keep the, he's going to keep that commandment, that fifth commandment: honor thy father and thy mother. Right, right, right. He's going to keep that commandment. So Jesus, um, Jesus does exactly what his mother asked him to do, which is he helps out the wedding feast, right? He has the, the, the servants that are there. Now remember, there's just the disciples 
and these servants and Jesus. And the servants, he says, hey, fill up these jars here. Now, there's six of them, and they're about five to six feet tall. And they're for drawing water for ritual pure, for the ritual purity baths. So they're large, very large vessels. And they fill them up to the brim, to the very top where they're overflowing, very top. And that's all they know. That's all they see. So, like, I'm a Harry Potter fan. I'm sorry if you guys are not a Harry Potter fan. I feel for y'all because Harry Potter's a good thing. So, in Harry Potter, the very first one, the Sorcerer's Stone, the very first time Harry goes to, to Hogwarts, he's a little bitty guy, probably six or seven years old, I'm guessing. And he's got broken glasses. And this weird little uh, girl comes up to him, Hermione Granger, and and takes her, her wand. And waits. I can see some of you guys, you're nodding, so you know exactly what I'm talking about. Uh, opticus Repero or something like that. And the little, the little flap, the little piece of tape that's holding them together, and the, the, the glasses are repaired. That's fantasy magic. That didn't really happen. That's movie stuff. But what happened with Jesus was a miracle. He took water, which is H2O, and he changed it into wine. Now, don't expect me to tell you what the chemical makeup of wine is because I have no idea. But whatever it was, he made it into wine. And not just any wine, but primo, good wine. So if you go to the store and you see the shelves of all the wine setting up, that's not where his wine would be. His wine would be under lock and key back in the back. The really good stuff. And the quantity that he made was tremendous. Some estimate 120 to 180 gallons of wine. So a bottle of wine, it takes like 12 of those to make one gallon or more. I don't know. It's a lot of bottles of wine to make one gallon. Bottles of wine. There's 120 to 180 gallons of wine here. A lot of good premium wine. So why does this matter? It is epiphany. And we're talking about the revelation of God to, to humankind. And so the first people that see this are the disciples. Now, they don't see Jesus do anything. Jesus doesn't wave his hand over it. He doesn't make the sign of the cross over it. He doesn't do anything. He just has them draw the wine, uh, draw the water, and then take a picture, picture out of that water. And all of a sudden, what is taken to the steward is good wine. So that revelation in itself is a miracle. And it's shown to the, to the uh, servants and to the disciples. So there's that revelation there of that, of God's presence here. All right. Now, what does wine have to do with anything? If you've still got your Bibles, I want you to turn to Amos. Okay. Amos is in the Old Testament and it's towards the back of the Old Testament. So that's towards the New Testament, but not quite as far as the New Testament. So if you don't mind, and you, and you can turn real quick to Amos. So I'm on Amos, and I am in, um, I'm on chapter 9 of Amos. So I'm right in the very back of Amos. Okay? And while you're turning there, I want to tell you about Amos. Amos was written in about um, 750 B.C. 750 B.C. Now let that sink in for just a minute. How old is the United States? Somebody remind me. 230-something. 245. 245. Anybody else want to guess? 
It's, it's in the 200s. You got it? What is it? You know when it was started, right? So it's real, it's real compared to when Amos was written. I mean, we're talking between the distance between Amos and Jesus. It's a, you know, it's really, the U.S. is really young. So 750 B.C., it's written, and I'm on, um, I'm in Amos chapter 9, verse 13, verse 13. Behold, the days are coming. You got it? Okay. Here we go. Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when the plowman shall overtake the reaper and the, and the treader of grapes who has sown the seed. The mountains shall drip sweet wine and all the hills shall flow with it. All the hills shall flow with sweet wine. What Amos is talking about in this is the, the eschaton when Jesus, when the, not Jesus, when God comes to earth. Okay, when God is manifest on the earth, there will be an abundance of wine. Now, do y'all remember how much wine I said Jesus changed the water into? How much wine that left? 120 to 180 gallons. That's a lot of wine, okay? 750 years plus 30 to, to Jesus. Let's go now to Joel. That's one book back towards the front. One book. I'm on chapter 3. And I want to tell you a little bit about Joel. Joel was, was a relative newcomer compared to Amos. He was writing in 350 B.C. 350 B.C. He was writing. I'm in chapter 3 on verse 18. And this is what it says. In that day, the mountains shall drip with sweet wine. This in itself, and I'm, I'm putting my hand over here like there's bottles of, or gallons of wine here. This, is manif- this manifestation of water into wine is God's revelation to humankind. And it has been told for hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years. The Israelites would have known this. It would have been part of their ethos. They would have understood and known this as a sign. And Jesus has just given them 180 gallons of wine. Epiphany. God among us. So that's the first. That's the first sign. The second sign, the second reason for this sign is for for us to to realize that God gives us things in abundance. He doesn't give it to us out of his poverty. He gives it to us in abundance, out of his wealth. So Jesus could have just taken a chalice or even a, a a flask or whatever you want to call this, this pitcher, and had them dip it and turn that into wine. And that still would have been cool. And it still would have been great. And he would have had one pitcher of wine, but he chose not to do that. God chose not to give us one pitcher of wine, but to give us all this wine. He gave it to us in abundance. So when God gives to us, God gives to us out of his abundance and out of his abundance. And not only did he give us out of his abundance, but he gave us the best wine. The best wine. Second epiphany. Third epiphany is about God's intent for us. So once again, I go back to this this statement that Jesus didn't have to do any of this. He could have just said, oh, mom, you're just meddling, and turned around and walked out and left. 
Wine's gone. No reason to stay. I'm out of here. But he didn't do that, did he? What would have happened had the wine run out? The party would have been over. And I believe, if I, as I read through the scriptures, that God doesn't want the party to end. When does Jesus show up? What happens when Jesus shows up? He changes water into wine. He heals people. He restores people back to their community. He eats with people who don't deserve to even have him in their presence, which, by the way, includes us. Um, And he restores them. He forgives their sins and brings them back into relation, right relation with everybody else. Jesus wants us in relationship with each other. And that happens through God's grace. So we see that that uh, in this in this epiphany in this wine, changing water into wine we see God's this God's plan for grace and mercy that will continue on even through Paul's ministry Paul talks about this dispensation of grace throughout all of his ministry he just rings of Jesus and God's grace and mercy upon us and we're seeing that in this changing this water into wine this is a true epiphany story this is true seeing God in among us. Now, there are some who would like to see God and only God among us, but we must not forget that God was in the person of Jesus Christ and not just some kind of spiritual manifestation, but that he was actually a human boy, a real boy to coin Pinocchio. He was a real boy. He had a mother that he was answering to. He was born to that mother, grew up, And when he was about 30 years old, turned this water into wine. God loves us so much that he would, you know know the words, he would send his only son to live among us, to be among us, to minister among us, to show us the way of God's intent for us through grace, through abundance, and through the best. Guys, epiphany is awesome. This epiphany is amazing. We have a God who loves us. And all we have to do is just realize how much he does love us. Amen.